Hello, I'm Maria Kohut, the feature editor at Medical News Today. And I'm Yasmin Nicola Sakai, the global news editor at Medical News Today. Yas and I will be your podcast hosts in conversation today. But before we begin, we have a favor to ask. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, If you would like to stay up to date on the latest conversations and debates around medical research, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast, In Conversation by Medical News Today, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast listening platform of your choice. That's In Conversation by Medical News Today. By doing that, you'll be the first to know when a new episode is out, and you would be helping us reach more people who would like to find out about the latest medical research out there. This month, we'll be discussing a topic that seems to have been at the forefront of everyone's minds over the past year, if not longer. We'll be looking at the use of semaglutide, or GLP-1 receptor agonist drugs, for weight loss. Now, most people will have heard of the brand names under which semaglutide drugs are sold. Names like Ozempic, Wegovy, Ribelsis may ring a bell. In this episode, we'll be looking at why individuals, researchers, medical professionals are all increasingly interested in the weight management potential of this drug. And we will specifically dive into the issue of the weight loss plateau while on semaglutide. We'd like to do a deep dive into the topic today. So, who do we have on board today, Maria, to help us dive deeper into this topic? We have our special guest, Dr. Simon Cork. Dr. Cork, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, hello, everyone. I'm Simon Cork. I'm a senior lecturer in physiology at Anglia Ruskin University Medical School. I have a particular research interest in gut hormones and how our guts communicate with our brains when we've eaten and how that tells us when we're satisfied and satiated. And interestingly, what goes on in people who have obesity when those signals don't quite work as well as they should do. Thank you so much. Very interesting. So let's just jump straight into it. We just mentioned we'll be discussing the use of semaglutide drugs. Some brand names are Ozempic, Wegovy. The use of these drugs for weight loss. But to be entirely clear, I just want to specify that most of these drugs aren't sold or prescribed for the purpose of weight management. And doctors typically prescribe them for people with type 2 diabetes who struggle with blood sugar control to help their bodies produce more insulin, which is the hormone that helps keep blood sugar levels in check. Dr. Cook, could you, in a couple of sentences, explain how semaglutide works to improve insulin sensitivity in people with diabetes? So semaglutide or semaglutide, I never know which is the right pronunciation. It's a drug which mimics a naturally occurring hormone called glucagon-like peptide 1, commonly known as GLP-1. GLP-1 is a hormone that's released from our intestines when we eat a meal. And it has a couple of functions. One of its earliest known functions was that it's known as an incretin hormone. And an incretin hormone is a hormone which stimulates the pancreas, which is the uh, organ in your body which releases insulin. It stimulates that organ to secrete insulin into the bloodstream. So for those patients who have diabetes, we know that insulin levels can be affected by diabetes. And so the way that GLP-1 works in those patients is to stimulate the body's natural insulin producing reserves. It stimulates the pancreas to do what it does normally, which is to secrete insulin and bring blood sugar levels 
down. So that's what the drugs were originally produced for. Got it. Thank you. Yaz, did you have a question? So we know that both in the United States and the United Kingdom, DME semaglutide drug approved or recommended for weight loss is Wegovy, and this is only under very specific circumstances and only in specialist settings. But Dr. Cork, how does semaglutide lead to weight loss? So I mentioned how GLP-1, which is the naturally occurring hormone that semaglutide mimics, how that hormone stimulates the pancreas to release insulin. One of the other roles that GLP has under normal physiological circumstances is to tell you when you're full. So there are quite a few hormones that are released from your intestines when we've eaten a meal that signal to the central nervous system to say that you have eaten, that you're full, that you don't need to eat again or to regulate your appetite. GLP-1 is one of those hormones. What we know is that in patients with obesity, the levels of GLP-1 and other hormones that induce satiety are reduced. So certain patients with obesity will require larger meals, for example, to get that level of GLP-1 release that those of us without obesity need to signal satiety. What semaglutide does is it takes GLP-1 or an analogue of GLP-1 and it gives it in much higher doses than what we would see physiologically. So it's stimulating a natural appetite suppressive pathway to promote satiety, which is otherwise blunted in people with obesity. Now, I think what's important is that semaglutide itself does not cause weight loss. All it does is it very potently helps people who are on an otherwise calorie restricted diet and improving their energy expenditure levels through exercise or the kind of typical ways that you might diet. It helps that to be much more successful because it suppresses appetite very potently. And appetite is really a huge motivator of behavior. The hunger that comes with dieting is the one thing that often means that diets fail. So that's how semaglutide works, really. It's not causing weight loss, but it's helping patients really to fight the physiological things that kick in when people do diet and lose weight. And we've seen some incredible results of people taking this drug and achieving great weight loss results. But we see in some individuals who have been taking this drug for some time, they've reached this weight loss plateau, meaning they are unable to lose more weight. And sometimes it's hard to maintain this weight loss. Can you explain why this happens? I mean, there's huge variability. I think firstly, it's important to understand that obesity itself is not a single condition. It's an umbrella term. The causes of obesity are multifactorial, different for different people. And so the underlying biology, what's causing that obesity will be different for different people. There's huge amounts of research now looking at the genetic causes of obesity, whether that's people with what we call monogenetic obesity, which is a change in a single gene, which almost guarantees that person will become obese, or what is much more common, which is what we call polygenetic obesity. So lots of genetic predispositions, if you like, to obesity. And the more predispositions you have, the more likely you are to become obese. But each one of those genetic changes modifies your biology in a very unique way. So the combination of your genetics and your environment will determine whether you will become obese, how obese you will become, and how easy you find it is to lose weight. 
So that's a really important thing to understand that obesity is not a single condition. It is not caused as perhaps the general public and the media might want to portray that obesity is all the fault of the person being lazy and gluttonous and what have you is absolutely not the case. So I think with any treatment that's brought to market, there will be huge variability in how people respond to that. Now, the headline figures that have been shown with semaglutide is the average weight loss of about 15%, which in itself is huge compared to any other weight loss medication that we've had before. But that is an average. So some people will find that they're losing much more than 15% body weight, and some people will find that they're losing much less than that. And that comes from really a combination of what is the underlying biology that's causing that person's obesity, or will it be helped by stimulating the appetite suppressive pathways? Some people will be more sensitive to that than others. As I've said before, this GLP-1 analyzed semaglutide will not cause you to lose weight. It will just help to support patients along that pathway. So if some people are not making those changes as radically as others, then semaglutide can only help you so far. For those people who maybe are making huge lifestyle changes and really turning a corner with how they're approaching their food intake and their exercise and all of that sort of stuff, those people are perhaps likely to find that they lose more weight than others. So, you know, there's huge variability in how people, and that's not necessarily a failure of the person, nor is it a failure of the medication. It's just trying to find that sweet spot where the majority of people will see substantial weight loss. But within that, you're always going to find people who respond really highly to it and those who don't. Thank you. That's incredibly interesting. And so to summarize a little bit and then to go a little bit more in depth on some of what you just said. So these types of drugs essentially help suppress some of the natural appetite, right? And some people respond better to them than others. So keeping all of these things in mind, what would you say could help somebody prevent or overcome this weight loss battle while on these drugs? Are there any sort of approaches that you would advise for somebody who has reached a weight loss plateau while on this type of drug? That's such a wide, broad question in that everyone is going to respond differently for different reasons. I think what is important to note is that the greatest level of weight loss with these drugs is associated with the highest dose available of these drugs. People are not put straight onto that dose because if you did, the side effects would be so extreme that most people would not be able to tolerate it. And so people are titrated up. They're given the low dose for the first three, four, five, six weeks. If they're tolerating that, their dose will be increased five, six weeks. And again, if they're tolerating that, they'll slowly move up to the highest dose. So if people are finding that they're not able to tolerate the highest doses of the medication, because I mean, this is associated with side effects like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, those sorts of things, which are not pleasant side effects then they will find if they can tolerate a lower dose, they might find that they're losing weight, but that's not going to hit that sort of magical 50% average, which is what's being reported. But again, it's all going to be dependent on what the person's lifestyle is like prior to going onto this and whether that is a contributing factor to the reasons why that individual has developed obesity in the first place and the changes that people make once they've started on this trip. So it's not a case of do X, Y, and Z, and you will almost definitely hit that 15% or, you know, your body weight will start going down. 
because it's really dependent on where that individual is coming from. And, you know, we could talk about the socioeconomic factors that come into this and, you know, people's ability to afford healthy foods and the luxury of being able to exercise and all of that kind of factors in and plays in, which forms this bigger picture of people's ability to lose weight and affordability of weight loss. I guess my next question here would be, from your perspective as a researcher, how do you feel about the increasing availability of these drugs for weight management? Because this is in the public discourse a lot, it's in the media a lot, trying to make these drugs more available for people who want to use them for weight management, as opposed to people with other metabolic disorders like diabetes. Yeah, and it's becoming a really crucial question because, as you said at the beginning of this interview, these drugs were originally and have for a long time been prescribed for people with diabetes. One of the consequences of sort of the media hype around this drug is that more and more people are looking for these drugs, more and more people are trying to get access to these drugs for weight loss. And as a consequence, there's now actually, a, I don't want to say the word ban, but patients who are not already on these drugs for their control of their diabetes are not allowed to be prescribed them, certainly until about halfway through 2024, because the pipeline, the availability of these drugs is so fragile that there's no guarantee that people can get on them. I have colleagues that I work with who have previously been on these drugs and now can't get them, and they're having to find alternatives. So there are difficulties around pipelines and how these drugs are manufactured. But I think they're going to be short-term issues. Essentially, once manufacturing has increased, I think we'll find the availability of these drugs will match demand. I think in terms of people's access to these drugs, there are a couple of really important points. Firstly, the clinical trials which have shown the efficacy of these drugs, how well they cause weight loss, have largely been done in very particular populations. And those are populations with the highest levels of obesity. So the safety profiles, the efficacy, the ability to cause weight loss is really demonstrated in a very extreme population of those with obesity. And I say extreme in that actually the number of people with that level of obesity, and we're talking people with a BMI of over 35, really, the number of people certainly in the UK with that level of obesity is relatively small compared to the whole population. And I suspect that for those with lower levels of obesity, they will find that these drugs are able to cause weight loss. But there comes a point where the dangers to your health are being slightly overweight and the potential risks associated with these drugs, that balance starts to narrow slightly. We know that if you have a BMI of over 35, for example, you are much, much more likely to develop things like cancer, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and all the sorts of metabolic conditions which are associated with obesity. And so the weight loss that's associated with these drugs will massively improve your health and far outweigh any risks that are associated with these drugs. If you are an individual who's just slightly overweight, or maybe an individual who isn't overweight but wants to you know, stop getting any heavier because we naturally put on weight as we age, or has maybe going off onto a beach holiday in a few months and maybe wants to improve their... their... The beach body image. <laughs> exactly then the potential is for that risk-to-benefit ratio to reduce. So that's a really important concept to consider as well. And then just finally, you know, if we're talking about free market access to these drugs, we also have to consider those individuals who are particularly vulnerable and may be at risk of eating disorders or may have body dysmorphia and aspects like that, that actually those patients getting access to these drugs 
would really be at risk. Thank you for emphasizing the importance of availability and medication availability for the people who actually need it. From a personal perspective, I'm going to share that my father is on a similar type of medication, but he's got type 2 diabetes and he has faced the shortage issue in the past. You've already mentioned the sort of risk-to-benefit aspects for people who are considered in the clinical obesity range versus people who have lower BMIs. So one final question to you from me is, what would you say to people who don't have a diagnosis of obesity, don't have a diagnosis of any metabolic disorder, and are seeking to obtain semaglutide for the purpose of weight loss, just because of what we were mentioning before, the beach body thing, what would you say to them? So firstly, I would say I completely understand the desire and the want to get access to something that is effective, because irrespective of whether you have extreme obesity or you're just slightly overweight, or if people are unhappy with their body, it's really, really difficult to lose weight through diet and exercise alone. The vast majority of people trying to lose weight through diet and exercise fail, not because people have lack of willpower, but because they're fighting a biological battle, really, that's trying to put your body weight back up. Yeah, that's what I wanted to touch on, because when you lose weight, you do tend to hit this plateau naturally, do you not? Because that's your survival instinct and your body doesn't want to go below a certain threshold when you're losing weight. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, so you will plateau because your body is designed to protect you from death, really. And for the vast, vast majority of people, body weight is stable. So my body weight, apart from Christmas when it goes up, is pretty much stable. I don't really have to watch what I eat, count my calories in and calories out in order to maintain a stable body weight. And for the vast majority of people, whether they are underweight, normal weight, overweight or obese, will have that same trajectory. Your body weight in February this year will probably be the same as your body weight in February last year. Now, obviously, there are variations on that. Certain medical conditions or drugs will impact that. But by and large, most people are weight stable. And that is your body maintaining your body weight. Now, if you, and again, irrespective of what your body weight is, if you start to lose weight, then your body will think that you are going into starvation mode and it will do what it needs to do to protect what your normal body weight is and your normal body weight could be overweight underweight or anything in between and so that's where that biological battle kicks in because you will be hungry because that's your body trying to increase your body weight your metabolic rate will decrease your motivation to move will decrease your tiredness levels will increase because all of these things are your body's way of protecting your body weight so semaglutide works with that because it stops the hunger that's associated with weight loss, that hunger that's protecting or what your body thinks is protecting your body weight. So diet and exercise on its own is really difficult to maintain weight loss with. So for people who are just slightly overweight and want to better their health or better their self-image or for whatever their motivation is for wanting to lose weight, still really hard to do that on your own. And really, we've had no effective methods to help promote weight loss until now. So we've had drugs in the past. There's a drug that's been around for about the last 20, 25 years called Orlistat. 
which doesn't work in the same way in that it's not suppressing appetite. All it's doing is stopping your body from absorbing fats. And the side effects associated with that are not very nice. But you still get the hunger and you still get all of the physiological kicking that happens with dieting. So there's really been no effective way of helping people lose weight. So I completely understand for those people who don't meet the very strict criteria, very strict thresholds that the regulator of drugs have placed on semaglutide. I understand that just because you don't meet that criteria doesn't mean that you don't want help or assistance or something that's effective at helping you lose weight. Completely understand that. Again, what I would say, and I'd go back to this, there's lots of different reasons why I would recommend against it. Some of those are based on that risk-to-benefit ratio. So although these drugs are, in general, really, really safe, they are not without side effects. And some of those side effects are quite serious for a very small minority of people. But also because you know we've spoken about people struggling to access these drugs who need them to maintain their health, as in those people who are diabetic. And those people who have the most extreme versions of obesity that really these drugs have the potential to really extend their lifespan. So those are kind of the reasons why I would say I get it. I understand it. I wouldn't recommend it, but I understand why people want help and support. And they're finding that this is a helpful way. This is an effective way and are probably frustrated and disappointed that they can't get access to it. Thank you. Yes, all of that makes sense. But yeah, again, I guess what I would say is think of the people who, as you just pointed out, need these drugs for their health to support their well-being, who would actually not achieve the same quality of life without access to these medications, right? Yeah. And I suspect that will change in the future as the drug production ramps up to meet demand. We'll find that there will be enough for everyone. But yeah, as it currently stands, there are difficulties with supply. Thank you so much, Dr. Cork, for joining us today. That has been very interesting, a great discussion. It was wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Yaz, for being such a wonderful co-host. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This has been a wonderful discussion and I look forward to our next episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information on the weight loss plateau on semaglutide, you can read our article, Why Weight Loss Drugs Stop Working and How to Break Past the Ozempic Plateau on Medical News Today. If you've enjoyed this episode of In Conversation and you want to be notified when a new episode is up, remember to hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the podcast listening platform of your choice. This has been In Conversation by Medical News Today.